Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? It's good to be back with you this week. I have a confession. I've been watching trash television again. I stopped watching reality TV after I was on a reality TV show. Reality TV is incredibly produced and scripted. It's really difficult for me to watch reality TV because I know that people are adhering to a script and, and doing takes of, of their conversations. So, But I'm in screenwriting school, which I've talked about a little bit before. My most recent class was about pacing. How do you keep a viewer entertained and wanting to know what happens next? It's essentially the difference between when you're watching a show and it goes to commercial and you wait through the commercial versus you're watching a show and it goes to commercial and you flip the channel. I was talking to one of my friends who's a screenwriter and he was like, you know, if you really want to learn pacing, reality TV is really, really good at it. I was very skeptical and I was like, I'm trying to do scripted. Like, why would I be watching reality TV? He was like, you watch Real Housewives of Atlanta. You've watched Love and Hip Hop, right? Okay. And he was like, when does all the action start? There's always a brawl at the very end of the episode. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe what happened. And then you tune in next week to see what happens. He was like, you always know, like in the last 10 minutes of the episode, something crazy is going to happen. That is pacing and structure. And I was like, oh, I refuse to watch Love and Hip Hop and Real Housewives of Atlanta. So we settled on me watching My 600 Pound Life and 90 Day Fiance. I start watching for structure and stakes and pacing. I'm wondering whether I should tell you this stuff because it might ruin TV watching for you. It's so crazy. You can literally plot out what's about to happen by the time of the show. It's uh, when it's a good show. Every episode of My 600 Pound Life starts with someone in distress and why they need to get this weight off. First episode I watched is a woman. She's married to a not so great man who loves a bigger woman. They have a child. The woman is too large to fit through the gate to get to her daughter's playground and push her on the swings. And she was like, I want to lose weight so I can be a more active parent. Also, She's worried about her health because she's like, if I don't get my health under control, I may die and my daughter may not have a mother. High stakes to get this weight off. So now you're invested in this woman's journey. You want her to lose this weight, obviously, so she doesn't die. Also, so she can be there to raise her daughter. But you want to see her get through this gate so she can push her daughter on the swings and be an active parent. This is why you'll watch the rest of the show. So at first, I'm noticing the timing. I'm thinking about the stakes, how often it's repeated throughout the episode over and over and over. I get so invested in this story. The woman loses 250 pounds. Not only is she able to walk through the gate to the playground, she's able to sit on the swing. You know, I cried. I was so happy that this woman was able to participate in her daughter's life and fit on this swing. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. It's amazing television. Nearly every single episode of 600 Pound Life follows the same format. Here's where it gets crazy. So I end up watching six episodes of this show. I probably really only needed to do three, but I get caught up in these stories. I also start to notice other patterns. 
not necessarily with the, the storytelling, but with the people that the stories are about, particularly their relationships. Of the six episodes I watched, mostly random, five of the six people who were featured were in long-term committed relationships, if not married. Most of the people featured were confined to bed. Their partners did everything for them, literally everything from washing them down, powdering them, cooking their meals. There was one guy, he rolled a portable toilet into the bedroom. The woman was able to maneuver herself onto the toilet. And then when she was done, he wiped her ass afterward. I watched this scenario over and over again. And I was like, never in life should I ever feel like I'm asking someone for too much. Then I flip over to 90 Day Fiance. I watched season three, I think, of 90 Day Fiance. Mostly men go abroad and find women who speak English decently enough. Women who are usually young. Women who, because of their youth and their attractiveness, they would not be able to pull that type of woman in America. And they bring them to the States on a 90-day visa in which they have to marry them by the end of 90 days or the person must return home. I watched this 58-year-old man bring over a 19-year-old girl from the Philippines. I watched this guy who lived in a roachy, it was full of roaches, shotgun apartment with a roommate in New Orleans. He brought over a chick from Thailand. I ended up watching two seasons because it was so addictive. And yes, I was watching for pacing and story structure, but I got sucked into some of these stories. Overall, I was shocked at what these women were able to get away with or the way they were able to speak to some of these men and they just took it and was happy. Like the 19-year-old with the 58-year-old man, he got on her damn nerves and she straight up told him to shut up. And I was like, I don't think I've ever told anybody in a relationship to shut up. She was like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I was like, let a black woman have done that shit. The Thai woman that came over to the dude in New Orleans She got to the house. She saw them roaches. She was like, this place is dirty. You got me living up in here with your roommate. We ain't got no privacy. Absolutely not. You need to clean up this place and we need to get a fresh apartment. Man was only there for 90 days. They got married well before 90 and they had moved to a new apartment a good 30 days before that. She told him immediately, your place has bugs and it's nasty. We can't live here. Sir figured it out. I watched another season. It wasn't season two. This Russian chick, dude told her he had a bunch of money and he wanted her to come to the States and he wanted to marry her. She said, okay. She came to the States. Sir had lied about his finances. She was like, I told you up front, I like money. I like Chanel bags. I like cars. This is the type of ring I want. This is the type of lifestyle I want. You're not delivering. She was like, you wanted somebody young and beautiful and who was not fat. I've delivered. You need to hold up your end of the bargain. She told him she didn't like the apartment. They moved into a new apartment. She told him she wanted to be a lingerie model. She wanted him to invest in her business. She went and got some lingerie from somewhere, had him pay for a full photo shoot. Body was tight. 
They went to try on wedding dresses. Dress was gorgeous. He asked the woman at the bridal salon, he said, how much does this dress cost? The woman said, this is one of our pricier dresses. This dress is $45,000. Russian ma'am did not blink. Sir was sitting behind her. She was staring in a mirror in the dress. He said, do you like the dress? She said, what do you think? He said, it's $45,000. Ma'am didn't bat an eye. She said, I deserve expensive things that make me feel beautiful. My mouth dropped. And not necessarily because of her audacity, but because of my lacking audacity. And I'm really good at asking for what I want. I was always pretty decent at it, but I'm adamant about it post-divorce. I've written extensively about asking people for what you want, and not just in relationships, but in every facet of your life. It's one thing to not get it because someone told you no. It's another thing to not get it because you never had the courage to express what you wanted. I recognize that it's not always easy because even for me, I'm pretty outspoken. I'm pretty bold. I'm pretty opinionated, but it's still a challenge just because in so many ways, people constantly reinforce to women, especially black women, that you're asking for too much, even when you're asking for the basics. Last podcast, we talked about relationships and I talked about this woman who goes to an event and she says, I want someone to call me. I actually want to talk on the phone. And one of the gentlemen at the event is like, you're asking for too much. Is she really? Anyone who thinks that they might be asking for too much or they're not deserving of what they're asking, turn on 90 Day Fiance or My 600 Pound Life. It won't be too long before you see somebody ask for something completely crazy. And when I was talking about it online, people were like, but she didn't get the dress and she didn't get that ring. That's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is she felt comfortable enough to ask for it. Most of the women that I know are not asking men for $45,000 dresses. They're not asking for Chanel bags. They're like the woman who stood up at the event and was like, can you just call me? Can you not try to coffee date me? Put some thought into it and don't try to like two for 20 me at Applebee's. When folks write in to ask Demetria, that's the stuff they ask about. They're not asking for big ticket crazy items and do still call them gold diggers. A nice restaurant is not gold. Women who are digging for gold are asking for big ticket items, not dinner. Now, she might be trying to get some silver, but you call it that. You say that woman is silver digging. You don't call it gold when you ain't got no gold, sir. That's totally not what I was supposed to be taking away from these shows. I was literally there for structure, for pacing. Literally last week, I was like, I'm no longer giving relationship advice. Like I'm on hiatus indefinitely from the whole thing. I'm not answering Ask Demetrius. I'm not coaching. I actually decided after watching those shows that I think I will re-enter the relationship conversation. I don't have advice for women. All my advice will be aimed at men because no one's advising them. If men can feel so very comfortable telling women how to be in relationships and what they need to do and how they need to act and how they need to perform, then I absolutely, incredibly, entirely should feel comfortable telling men where they fall short. And also, not enough people are concerned about the state of single men. According to countless studies, single women outlive married women. 
single women report higher rates of happiness and better health than married women. Single women are not of great concern. However, single men, men who do not marry, die like six to eight years earlier than their married counterparts. They're more likely not to be in good health. Single men report a lesser quality of life than married men. Single women, they good. Married women, it's a choice you make. I will say this. Let me add this. If you're married and you are literally, according to studies, this is not me making ish up, married women have a shorter life expectancy than single women. If you are married and literally cutting your life short to be with a partner, you better be the happiest missus on the face of this earth while your heart is still beating. Don't sit up in no terrible marriage just to say you married, cutting your life short, dealing with the shenanigans and foolishness of somebody's son. Don't do that to yourself. Go find your happy and live longer. You married, you better be happy. You better be the happiest woman on the face of this earth. My grandmother used to tell me what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Every single thing men say to women, I'm going to say that ish right back on the Biggest platform I can possibly muster. I'm giddy. Who knew this was going to be the outcome of me watching 90 Day Fiance and 600 Pound Life? Who knew? I was just trying to learn story structure. I done messed around and found a whole new perspective. What else is going on in the world this week? Can we talk about Katie Hill's resignation? I didn't see a lot of people talking about it online. I don't have cable. I just have, I have Netflix, I have Amazon, I have Hulu, but not live TV and Epics because I'm watching Godfather of Harlem. You heard about Katie Hill. Yes? No? Katie Hill was a first time Democratic congresswoman from California. She was part of that wave of women that got elected during the midterms. She has since resigned amid a scandal, sex scandal. Hill is in the middle of a very, very messy divorce, and she has been accused of having sexual relations with two of her staffers. One of them is a male congressional aide. That is the more serious accusation as it violates House rules that were passed in the middle of the Me Too scandals. Hale denies one of the relationships, the one with the male staffer, and she admits to the relationship with the female staffer which she couldn't really deny because pictures of her naked with the female staffer were leaked online. Hill and her husband were part of, and this is a term I had never heard before, a thruple. And allegedly, Hill's husband is the one who took the photos and also leaked them. Ten days after these photos appear online, Hill resigns. Which, I understand why she did. I wish she didn't. And I'll tell you why. All this happened at the end of October. So this is off recent. At the time Hill resigns, a couple things are going on. One of them is there's a Republican congressman from California, Duncan Hunter, who's being accused by federal prosecutors of using taxpayer money to carry on extramarital affairs with three lobbyists a congressional aide, and one of his staffers. I'm like, sir, why don't you throw a partridge in a pear tree in? You fucking everybody. My God, when does this man have time to legislate? 
despite pressure to resign, this man is still sitting up in office during the congressional investigation. He refuses to step down. That's how men do. One more. When Katie Hill resigns, she gives this impassioned speech on the House floor and she points out how unfair this whole situation has been. She was like, I'm being bullied. I'm being pressured to resign. People are calling me everything but a child of God in the press. And she's like, meanwhile, quote, a man who has had dozens of women come forward to accuse him of sexual assault, who pushes policies that are uniquely harmful to women, who has filled the courts with judges who proudly rule to deprive women of the most fundamental right to control their own bodies, sits in the highest office of the land. Obviously, she's speaking of orange. She got a point. The right wing press, they're coming after her left and right. Meanwhile, Trump sits in office. Here's another scenario that she didn't bring up, but it's been on my mind for a while. I think about it periodically. The Virginia situation. Virginia. Somebody goes to an old yearbook and finds a photo of the governor in blackface. People are like, governor, you must step down. Not even a week later, the lieutenant governor, black dude, is accused of rape. He refuses to step down. Third in charge, the attorney general, no one discovers anything about him. He was like, let me come forward so y'all don't have to dig. I was wearing blackface too. Huge scandal. One, two, and three. That happened beginning of the year. Don't you know all three of them mofos are sitting in office? Two dudes in blackface and a dude accused of rape. All sitting in office. Ain't going nowhere either. Meanwhile, this woman steps down. Here's what she said in her really great speech. Quote, I am leaving now because of a double standard. I am leaving because I no longer want to be used as a bargaining chip. I am leaving because I don't want to be peddled by papers and blogs and websites used by shameless operatives for the dirtiest gutter politics I have ever seen and the right wing media to drive clicks and expand their audience by distributing intimate photos of me taken without my knowledge, let alone my consent for the sexual entertainment of millions. I am leaving because of a misogynistic culture that gleefully consumed my naked pictures, capitalized on my sexuality, and enabled my abusive ex to continue that abuse, this time with the entire country watching. I am leaving because of thousands of vile, threatening emails, calls, and texts that made me fear for my life and the lives of the people that I care about. I'm leaving because for the sake of my community, my staff, my family, and myself, I can't allow this to continue. Because I've been told that people were angry when I stood strong after the first article was posted and that they had hundreds more photos and text messages that they would release bit by bit until they broke me down to nothing. I wish she had been able to stay in office, even if she did wrong and was eventually going to be forced out. I wish that she had a better support system, like the men who stay in office and ride the wave and give no fucks. I wish she had that. If she did indeed have sex with the male staffer and that violates the ethics rules and she got to go, then that is what it is. But men do much worse all the time and sit wrong and strong in their position, mostly because they have a support system too. They're able to withstand the fire One, because people don't think it's as bad to see naked photos of men or even when men have affairs or sex. People really freak out to know that women are sexual beings, especially when they cheat on their husbands. 
men have sex with female staffers all the time from the beginning of time. And it's always been a blink. But a woman does it. People find out. And 10 days later, she's resigning. The president, who's on tape talking about grabbing women by the hoo-ha, which is assault, clear cut, still remains in the Oval Office. I really hate that man. Okay, next topic. Actually, do you mind if we get in a word from our sponsor? Away Luggage creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, crafted with features that make travel more seamless. They offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems, so all you have to think about is where you're headed next. Because getting away means getting more out of every trip to come. Away sent me the cutest suitcase. I've been trapped in California, and between classes and homework, I haven't had a chance to get away, but maybe for the holidays. I might head back to the East Coast. We're thinking about a cute getaway in the South. Savannah, Beaufort, Hilton Head, Charleston, they're all right there together. I'll get a chance to put my Away carry-on to good use at that time. The Away carry-on features a lightweight and durable shell that's made to last for a lifetime of travel. And a 100-day trial lets you try any Away product on the road. And if anything happens to your luggage, a limited lifetime warranty means they'll fix or replace your bag if ever it gets damaged. Take away luggage out on the road and live with it, travel with it, get lost with it. If you are interested in away luggage, visit awaytravel.com slash respectable. Awaytravel.com slash respectable. Use promo code RESPECTABLE during checkout for $20 off your away luggage. That's awaytravel.com RESPECTABLE and promo code RESPECTABLE for $20 off your suitcase purchase. Y'all heard about Robin Crawford's new book about Whitney Houston? Robin was Whitney Houston's bestie. Throughout the 80s, early 90s, she was much rumored to be Whitney Houston's girlfriend. Since Whitney Houston's passing, there have been at least two documentaries, a book by her mother, Sissy, a book by Bobby, a film about Bobby Christina. Bobby had a two-night film on BET. In both of the documentaries, Robin is discussed by Whitney Houston's family, by Whitney Houston's bodyguard. People only know who Robin Crawford is because so many people have talked about Robin Crawford. And until now, Robin ain't said shit, which does make me wonder why she changed her mind. Robin has a new book, A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston. She's been making the press rounds talking about it. I have not read the book. And initially, I had no intentions of reading the book. Let me say this first. Robin, whether she was Whitney's best friend or any woman in the world, she has a right to tell her story. If she wants to tell all of her business, that is her right to tell her business. If she wants to tell the business of things that she was directly involved in, 
That's also her right. I would never try to silence the story, especially of another woman. When I heard about this book, I was just a little curious about what you going to tell us, sis? She was doing the press rounds. She was like, yes, Whitney and I did have a romantic sexual relationship. We were quote unquote together is the term that she used. And I was like, is this new news? I thought everybody knew that. It was rumored through most of the 80s and the 90s. But once the documentary started coming out, it was flatly confirmed. Whitney Houston's hairdresser, Ellen LaVar, was like, yeah, she dated men and women. There was a gentleman in the band. I can't remember if he was on drums or on bass, but he was like, yeah, Whitney is what we would now call fluid. Okay. The bodyguard in the other documentary was like, yeah, Whitney and Robin were a thing. And at one point, Robin went to blows with Bobby over Whitney and Robin won. It's like, oh, Robin bought that life. Okay. Or maybe Bobby can't fight. Everything about Bobby Brown, though, says Bobby know how to scrap. I'm going to like to think Robin just got hands. I didn't know we still needed confirmation that Whitney and Robin were an item. Robin was in a relationship with her. So that's Robin's story to tell if she feels fit. I was really curious what else was in this book. My life with Whitney Houston. I was like, please don't be the bestie that waits until your friend dies and then goes and tells all of her tea. There's definitely interest in the subject matter. Ma'am has been dead almost a decade. People love to talk about Whitney Houston. I would feel a way, though, if my bestie, even after I'm dead, goes and starts spilling my tea. I read about some of the stories that Robin was telling in the book. She talked about Whitney dating Eddie Murphy. She talked about Eddie Murphy not being as into Whitney as she was into him. She talked about Eddie Murphy calling Whitney on her wedding day and telling her not to marry Bobby. But is that something we really need to know? And then further, is that Robin's story to tell? I mean, if Eddie Murphy had called her and had her relay a message to Whitney, then okay. But I was like, that's not your story. That's Whitney's story. That's Eddie Murphy's story. Why are you telling that story? If this is a book full of Whitney tea, and that's the type of tea to get people interested in buying the book, this tea seems very triple poor, very tepid. It's not that I'm too good to care about Whitney's stories. I'm just like, how, how many stories are we going to tell about this woman? She's been dead nearly a decade, like enough already. When are people going to let her rest in peace? I said about that on an Instagram post. And my good friend, John Murray, reached out to me and he was like, D, I think you're hitting the wrong note here. We usually agree on most things, not everything, but most things. But he's a logical man. Even when I don't agree with him, I hear him out. So he was like, look, everybody and their mother has talked about Robin. They've brought Robin into the narrative. They've made sure Robin is always included in the narrative. Robin got a right to speak and tell her side of the story. Everybody else done made money off Whitney. Why can't Robin make some too? And I was like, but the best friend, it doesn't sit right with me telling the best friend's business. And he was like, everyone's told business. I heard him. I respect him. I was like, I don't agree. Then my friend in my head, who actually is like my friend in real life now, Candace Bimbo, Red Lip Theology. She goes and reads it or listens to it. Eight hours, I think. 
she spends an entire day updating her Facebook feed about her thoughts of wherever she is with the book. Her final conclusion was a glowing recommendation. Here's what Candace said. This is a book about resilience. Quote, the ability of Robin to prioritize herself and quit shrinking in a love that didn't love her back well is the story. This book is a bomb. It was beautiful. That beauty is complicated, honest, textured, and freeing. It's sacred. This book is powerful and pushed me to examine the areas where I'm not fully choosing me and do better. This book was glorious. You know how I feel about Candace Bimbo. I lightly stand. And now Candace is standing for this book. I'm willing to give the Robin book a chance and admit that I may have been wrong after reading Candace's review. And after John was like, oh, I think you're looking at this wrong. It's very, very rare that I disagree with both of them. And seeing as how I haven't read the book, Candace read it and loved it. I'm willing to give it a try. If you too would like to give a song for you, My Life with Whitney Houston by Robin Crawford, a try, you can do so with the help of our friends at Audible. And I swear this book was on the list to talk about before I knew there was an Audible ad. I swear it. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. With the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device. Mobile, Alexa-enabled, Bluetooth, and more. You can start listening to a song for you with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook or two Audible Originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash respectable or text respectable, R-E-S-P-E-C-T-A-B-L-E to 500-500. Once again, that's audible.com slash respectable or text respectable to 500-500. John Legend is the sexiest man alive, according to People Magazine. I like John Legend a lot. I think he has a beautiful voice. I have downloaded every John Legend album. I've been to see him in concert. I think he's a great songwriter. I think he's a nice looking man. Cute. Adorable. Like a teddy bear. He would make a great prom date. Great dad. He looks wholesome, responsible, kind, loyal, logical, good guy, husband material, quote and unquote, safe. John Legend looks safe, but sexy. Never in my entire life have I looked at John Legend and thought to myself, oh, if I got it, he could get it. Never. He looks nice, just nice. And there's nothing wrong with nice. Nice is nice. I want to hug him. I don't want to sit on his face. I like John. I do. I do. I do. I do. And a few people were really mad at me for saying that John Legend is not sexy or that I don't think John Legend is sexy. Sexy is completely subjective. There are absolutely women and not just Chrissy who think John Legend 
is sexy. I want to be clear, because I don't find John Legend sexy does not mean that I like degenerate thug hood type dudes. Because apparently saying that you don't find John Legend sexy means that like you just want some dude fresh out of trap house. And I'm like, no, 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 that, that's not. No, 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 no. I made a list of men that I found sexy. May I read it to you? Jason Moma. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Carl Drago. Aquaman. Big old wide. Wherever his people are from, I would like to go see his people and live among them. I'd be a hoe in that land. That's not the point. The point is, he fine as f- I love seeing pictures of him with Lisa Bonet. There's some picture of them in the back seat of a car, and she just looks like snuggled in. Like she's she's snuggled in. Like he's just that ain't no teddy bear. Damson Idris, which I sometimes feel dirty about being attracted to. He's 28. He's very well over the legal limit, but he plays a 19 year old on Snowfall. He's a very good actor. So especially when he's being vulnerable in the role. He takes on the mannerisms of a teenage boy very, very well. And when he does it, I just feel like I should go turn myself in. I need to be locked away for the safety of others because I'm a dirty woman. But he's 28 in real life. But when he's not vulnerable and he's in like his full I'm a pusher mode, there's a scene where he flies off to, I want to say Panama, and he got on that 80 suit with that 80 small fro. 80s fine is a whole different level of fine. When Franklin be looking like 30-something, my God. His face looks like, when I go to Ghana, I go to the markets and the art galleries, and they have these, I don't know the name of them, but there's a particular sculpture, a mask maybe, of a man's face. It has the exact same bone structure of Damson Idris. Sterling K. Brown. He popped on my radar playing Christopher Darden. And I want to say he was balding in the role. And I was like, nah, nah, y'all. Look closely. There's something happening here. And then he became Randall on This Is Us. And Randall, corny as hell. It doesn't get more dad and wholesome than Randall Pearson. Knowing that a man is reliable and pays bills on time is sexy as fuck. My problem is not with John Legend being nice and reliable. He just don't read as sexy. Russell Wilson was not on the list that I put on social media, but Russell Wilson absolutely should be on my list. That mofo is sexy as shit. He be making them videos for Sierra about how much he loves her, how much he loves the contribution that she makes to their home and for their family, the way that she loves their children. He be going on and on with this love for Sierra. And I be like, yo, something is really dysfunctional with me because I'm looking at this man love on his woman like, damn, I probably shouldn't be lusting for him right now. But that shit is sexy. And Russell Wilson's corny as fuck. And I love everything about it. I do. Some people just have a sexy factor. John don't have that. And I like John. I had Jeezy and Gucci on my list. Which, there's something about both of them. And to be clear, I'm not talking about original Jeezy or original Gucci. I'm talking about the cleaned up versions of them. Like once Janine got a hold of Jeezy and once Gucci got out of jail and got his new teeth and, his, and found God. 
and abs. Gucci looks great. He looks happy. That's my attraction to Gucci. He's always smiling. Method Man, I should not need to explain that to anybody. I can't remember what award show it was. He came out. Mary J. Blige was being honored. He came out during Mary's set. Mofo looked better in 2019 than he did in 1998. I don't understand it. Nas. That's another one. He looks better now than he did when he was young. Omari Hardwick. He was looking not quite himself for a season of power. Like he never looked bad. He just didn't look like his usual clutch the pearls, cross the legs when he walked in a room. But this season, I don't know if it's the beard. I don't know if the original tailor of the suits is back. Every single scene, he looks amazing. Total 10. Mahershala Ali. Something about the way he walks. He's just such a dignified man. He also has amazing bone structure. I love him. Michael B. Jordan, anybody who's watched Creed in that workout scene in the desert, Jesus Christ. Sorry, God. Kofi Sirabe, Ralph Angel, I don't think he needs an explanation. OBJ, I would just like to point out that I saw the beauty in OBJ when his hair was still blonde. Now that it's short and all black, beautiful, beautiful, Ah. That is a gorgeous man. MF Michael Ealy. And I use the MF as a term of endearment and to acknowledge him as a God among mere mortals. I've had a crush on Michael Ealy for the better part of 10 years. I just, I think he's one of the most beautiful men alive. Barack Obama. It's just weird for me to say, because I often refer to him as dad and Michelle as mom. But I got to admit, there's like some sex appeal to Barack Obama. And he's all the things that you would say about John Legend. Except adorable. Family man, reliable, logical, responsible. There's a bunch of other people that could have made my list. That's just like my short version. They gave Sexiest Man Alive to Brad Pitt at least two times. I want to say 2000 and 2005. There may be another one after that. They could give the same person twice. Idris got it last year. The Rock was the sexiest man alive too. They could have gave it to The Rock again. They could have gave it to Idris again. I wouldn't be bad at back-to-back, would you? I don't know. I need to know how they made this determination. Hmm. Have y'all been following this Cuba Gooding case? Cuba Gooding Jr., your boy been out here wild. Like, wild. He's pleaded not guilty to charges related to two female accusers, one who claims he fondled her breast and another one who claims he groped her buttocks. 12 additional women have since come forward with claims of their own. There's a woman who says he pinched her buttocks while he was in Tao in Manhattan. There's another incident at Magic Hour, also in Manhattan, where the woman says, quote, Gooding placed his hand on her left breast without her consent and squeezed. What kind of alleged animal are you, sir? Run around groping people? You trying to be president? At a Los Angeles bar, Cuba Gooding Jr. is alleged to have reached into a woman's shirt and grabbed her bare breast. To the same woman, he said he wanted her to sit on his face and pee in his mouth. 
There's another incident at Nobu in Malibu. He tried to kiss a different woman on the mouth, then bit her, according to court documents. The woman says when she pushed him off of her and told him to leave her alone, he moved his hand up towards the woman's vagina. Gooding's lawyers say, quote, we are completely confident that there will be no criminal conviction of Cuba Gooding Jr. He is innocent of the allegations that will be presented before the court. Maybe again, because I don't have regular TV, maybe I'm missing a bunch of news stories, but I'm online all the time and I've seen next to no one talking about Cuba Gooding Jr. And I don't know why. Is that because people have always thought he was a wild boy? Or, let me check my language, I'm diminishing what he's doing when actually what he's being accused of is assault. But why aren't people talking about it? Is it because we've heard so much craziness that a man groping strange women isn't outlandish? I mean, if you've got like Harvey Weinstein trying to like rape people and Matt Lauer locking people in his office, Bill Cosby drugging people, I guess grabbing some ass or some breasts doesn't seem as outlandish. But really, think about that. That's nuts. You just walk up to a strange woman and start groping her? It's always so weird to me how every woman I know can tell me a story or 10 or 20 about going out, some dude saying something completely inappropriate, grabbing her ass, spitting on her, doing something like just assault. Whenever I talk about it or whenever I see other women talking about it, no man who joins the conversation has ever done it or knows a dude that does. A whole bunch of saintly men walking around who only hang out with other saintly men. They've never been disrespectful to a woman. They don't know men who do that. But every single woman I know got 10 to 20 to 50 stories about it. How is that possible? I think I was talking about that in relation to T.I.'s baffling behavior and then public admission that he takes his daughter to the gynecologist annually to have her hymen checked. And I just wonder, like, in this world where so many men deny so much of the bad behavior of other men, why do you feel that you have to protect your daughters so intensely? If it's a world full of saintly men, you're a saint, all your friends are saints. Who are you protecting your daughter from? Saints? Are you, are you protecting them from other women? Is that your fear? Anyway, I'm following this Cuba Gooding Jr. case. I want to see how it turns out. It's just weird that no one's talking about it. Let's get in a word from the sponsor. Most guys have tried different ways to last longer, but saying the Pledge of Allegiance in your head or counting backwards from 10 doesn't always work. If you're a guy and you're listening, can you email me what you do to stop yourself from finishing too soon? I'm quite curious. The folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer lasting sex. Roman Swipes are a clinically proven way to last longer in bed. They're effective, easy to use, and fast-acting but don't require a prescription. 
Roman can ship swipes in discreet, unmarked packaging, and each swipe's packet is small enough to hide in your wallet or wherever you need it. Swipes are great. They will not transfer to your partner, so you can last longer without worry. Roman swipes are super easy to use. Just take swipes out the packet, swipe it on, let it dry, and you are good to go. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash Ratchet. That's GetRoman.com slash Ratchet for $10 off and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com slash Ratchet. Last night, I went to a screening of Queen and Slim. It's a new movie by Lena Waithe. I've been really excited about it. I've seen the trailers online. In the drive from the 101 to my house, which is all of five minutes, there's got to be no less than eight posters for this film. Really, really excited about it. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. In fact, I'm not going to even review the film. I didn't read any reviews. I went in with no more knowledge than what I'd seen in a 30-second trailer. I didn't know where it was going. I was along for the ride. And it was an amazing, amazing ride. I want to do an entire podcast absolutely dedicated to the film because there's so much that I want to say, but I don't want to ruin it for you. I want you to go to the film and I never do this and I'm not getting paid. This is not an ad. I want you to go to the movies to see it opening weekend. And I want you to see it as soon as possible so it doesn't get spoiled for you. So much happens in the film. It is a think piece writer's dream. If I was still doing think pieces on the regular, I could easily come up with 20 topics off the top of my head. It's going to be written about to death. It's going to be spoiled immediately. Worse than an episode of Power. Take yourself to the movie theater opening weekend. Once it opens, avoid social media until you see it. It's beautifully, wonderfully, magnificently black. It's like an ode to blackness. I'll tell you one thing. And this is not a spoiler. It captures intimacy well. And I don't mean sex. And I don't necessarily mean even between the two main characters. I mean like there's an intimacy that black people have with other black people. Like I live in North Hollywood and there are black people around here. But they not really the black I'm used to. And that's not bad. I'm not denying these people their blackness, but East Coast blackness and Southern blackness are different types of blackness. What am I trying to say? Once a week or every other week as it's turning right now, I drive an hour and 15 minutes to go to Hilltop Cafe in, I guess it's Baldwin Hills. I'm still learning the different neighborhoods, but I drive all that way. Oh my God, I'm tearing up. Because when I walk up to the counter, 
the woman at the register greets me as, hey, sis. And she has an East Coast accent. And as I was watching, oh, my God, I'm not doing this today. Oh, give me a second. As I was watching Queen and Slim, there are several moments in the film where a smile or a head nod or there's a scene in the commercial where a woman places her hand over a man's, literally covering him. But so much is conveyed in that moment. And there's several moments like that throughout the film of black people acknowledging other black people in a way that only black people do. And it's something I probably wouldn't have noticed if I had daily interactions in black spaces. I'm very conscious of it now because I'm deprived of it. And I love LA. And I have to say that because otherwise people will be like, you don't like it, come home. I'm in motion. The reasons that I moved out here, the things that I hope to accomplish are slowly beginning to happen. I do miss home a lot. And not necessarily home is in New York, but home is in D.C. When I first moved to New York, six months in, I was sitting on a bench at the waterfront and I burst out into tears and I wanted to go home because it was just hard being in a new city and not having the infrastructure I was used to. Just have to keep telling myself, it's an adjustment. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. This too shall pass. All right, that's it, folks. So we will talk again soon. Oh, one more thing. Don't complain to me about the ads, please. I mean that, please. Um, I'm trying to avoid, as long as I can, putting the podcast behind a paywall. But if it's something that you're interested in because you don't want to hear ads... If enough people are interested, I'll put an ad-free version of the podcast behind a paywall. And that way, you won't have to hear the ads. Please understand, Cousin Demi, because I'm not your goddamn auntie, got bills. Thank you, as always, for listening. I always appreciate you. Talk soon. Bye.